welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I have a special guest on um, Dr. Sarita Lyons out of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, Welcome, Dr. Lyons. Thank you. It's good to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Um, If you would tell your listeners just a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. Well, I'm Sarita Lyons. Um, I am a wife of Mark Lyons of almost 15 years. We have four beautiful children, uh, ages 12, 11, 9, and 8. Um, I am the daughter of um, a minister here in Philadelphia. My mother is a retired educator. Um, and for myself, um, I am in private practice um, seeing individuals and groups and families for a variety of counseling needs. I do what I call Christ-centered or gospel-centered um, psychotherapy. My background educationally, I have a Ph.D. in clinical and forensic psychology, and I also have a law degree. So the Lord really surprised me in how he integrated um, that educational profile, but um, all of it, I believe, is used for his glory. That is my hope and my desire and intention. I also um, have a call to women and women's ministry. I am the uh, women's ministry leader of our SALT women's ministry uh, at Epiphany Fellowship Church under the leadership and pastorate of Dr. Eric Mason. And um, that is something I really, really love doing. Um, have for a long time been committed to um, the care and welfare and spiritual maturation of, of women in the body. Um, so that's a little bit about myself. That's awesome. Uh, I love um, to hear Dr. Mason. I listened to him a lot yes, in my okay. undergrad and um, during seminary time. So <laughs> I love his yes. messages. Um, you said you said a JD and PhD. That sounds like a whole lot of school. Uh, <laughs> 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 I just I I gained a, a, so much respect for you when I saw the JD and PhD. I was like, oh wow, that is a lot of school. I have some friends that went to law school, yeah. so I know it's intense. And then to add a PhD, I have friends that went and got their PhD, but I have no friends that did both. Um, usually right. people are worn yeah. out by one or the other. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, it's so interesting. The Lord concealed, you know, as he often does with us, his intention for me, um, because the Bible says he knows our frame and that we are dust. And had I had the full revelation <laughs> of what God was calling me to, I, I don't know that I would have been able to bear up under all of that information at once. So uh, my testimony really with regard to how I even got into this program is that in my purview of understanding, it was a mistake. So I applied to a a school for just the Ph.D. program, and that was back in the day when you didn't even apply online, and they just sent you, you know, that little packet that sat on your mama's coffee table and you looked through the book. Mm -hmm. So they sent me just the packet for, um, they sent me the packet for the J.D. Ph.D. program when I was only really applying to the Ph.D. program, and I called and said, what's this thing about law school? I don't want to go to law school. And they apologized, said, we're going to get you this new packet. Never came. And I just knew then that after time, I was like, well, why not Why not do it? But that was really the Lord orchestrating those things for me. I wasn't even seeking it out. So I'm so grateful for it. And he so often does those kind of curious things in our lives when he is leading us and guiding us and directing us. Amen. That's a wonderful testimony. Um, yes. <laughs> Well, today, um, I want to talk about uh, the intersection of psychology and apologetics, which is something I don't think has uh, been looked at together often. Um, But I was thinking through it, and the the way I came up with this concept was I was reading an article, and it was talking about the number of atheists um, that dealt with traumatic experiences in their childhood and how that took them down the road of unbelief. 
And um, when I talk to so many people, I'm often talking to people who don't believe in God and question the Bible. And then they go from very logical explanations into some emotionally erratic, like why did my God allow my mother to die from cancer? And so mm-hmm. this whole idea of questioning the, the, uh, you know, how old is the earth or evolution really has roots in being heartbroken and they'll mask it with these kinds of logical ideas. But when you talk to them and get to the core, it's that their heart is broken and they're disappointed in the God they, they, they trusted in at one point. So I thought it was fitting um, to bring a professional on there on here that deals with these kinds of matters often um, in, in your, in your experience and, um, in you counseling, um, how often do you see, um, people who question the concept of God because of traumatic experiences? Does, does, do traumatic experience change or challenge one's view of God? Mm-hmm. Excellent question. Uh, so I would say just as an easy answer to start off with, the answer is yes, and, and I'll explain a little bit. Uh, so the issue of trauma in general is just tough. Um, I can only imagine that people who don't have a relationship with God, um, given the fact that you even brought up the word atheist, um, that those individuals would struggle with the reality of God because even Christians who profess faith in the Lord struggle with God when dealing with trauma. Um, I think it's important to first realize that trauma changes us. It can change us physiologically, like regarding our brain and mental processes. It can change the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, and ultimately it can change the way we see and relate to God. So that is the devastating impact that trauma can have on one's life. And so the impact of trauma has this ability to create a distorted image of God and a distorted image of the self. And through that distortion, barriers, several barriers can be erected to one's ability to experience the fullness, right, of God's love and grace. Mm -hmm. So when people, especially childhood victims of trauma, are betrayed and violated by those who are supposed to be protecting them and loving them, it is often very difficult to believe that God loves them and will protect them. So God often is perceived as being punitive, right? Mm-hmm. So the thought is, somehow I must have done something to deserve this, that God is punishing me and allowing me to be exposed to or experience this level of trauma. God oftentimes is perceived as being partial, so that God somehow chose me to experience this kind of trauma, but he didn't choose someone else, um, that, that there may be some quality or way in which God is um, loving me or believing or, or believing for my life or this plan for my life. He has set me apart for something very devastating, but he's protected. He's loved. He's insulated another person from this devastation. So God is perceived as maybe partial. Then God can also be perceived as being indifferent. You know, this idea that God doesn't even really care, that there are other things going on in the cosmos that has captured God's attention. But my suffering, my hurt, my trauma um, does not move the heart of God. So it really eclipses and flies in the face of the idea that God is acquainted with our grief, that God grieves, that God is sorrowful at sin. Um, and then, you know, on, on another spectrum, as it gets deeper and deeper, uh, when people experience trauma, God can also be perceived as being impotent, that God does not actually have the power to intervene, mm-hmm. that God cannot stop it, or people perceive God as being dead, that, that God is really not alive, that God is a figment of our imagination. He is a creation for the feeble and the weak and the naive and the unsophisticated, because surely a God that is alive, a God that is omnipotent and all-powerful, a God that loves, a God that is impartial, uh, that kind of God would not allow this kind of drama and trauma into my life. And so really, the enemy has used the realities of us being in a sinful and broken world that we will experience the 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 consequences of sin being filled with a life of hurt oftentimes to create an indictment against God. 
as mm-hmm. being unloving, as being uncaring, as being distant, as being cold, as being impotent and powerless to move and, and to really not have all power over the universe um, as a way to invalidate the, the truthfulness and the veracity of the existence of God. And so, you know, I was thinking about the fact that um, I remember reading in one of Diane Lambert's books, she's a counselor, um, she wrote on counseling survivors of sexual abuse, and she used this really great example of what often takes place in the hearts of trauma victims, and she highlights a scene from the movie Forrest Gump. So mm-hmm. for all of the listeners that have ever seen Forrest Gump, they'll remember the scene where Jenny is trying to get away from her abusive father, and she kneels down and she prays and she asks God to turn her into a bird so mm-hmm. she can fly away. Mm-hmm. And, and God does not change her into a bird, and so she's left to deal with her abusive father. And, and that, that, that idea that you can pray and ask God to intervene, that there are glimpses in the midst of our trauma where we want to hold on to God, where we want to trust God, and God does not come and rescue us and protect us, that can really begin to chip away at any previous concept and belief in God and or put up a barrier to ever really believing that God exists. And the the truth of the matter is, even though people are well-meaning when we counsel one another, whether it's, you know, informal lay counseling in the church or even in professional settings like my private practice and others who counsel, um, there is this notion, um, because it is true, that God loves, that God is alive. There is this notion that for the person who is in trauma, that immediately hearing those words, that God is alive, that God is real, that God loves you, would actually be consolation for a victim of trauma. When in actuality, the truth that God is alive and that God is real and that God loves you is in fact the conflict, the tension that the one who is abused is wrestling with. Because it would be easy or easier to accept, I have gone through trauma and God is not real. But if, what do I do with the reality that I went through trauma, God is real, he could have stopped it, but he didn't. And so all of those factors together definitely create this struggle, this tension that, that people carry in their hearts about the, the pain that life has visited upon them and a God that sees all, knows all, and often allows an unimaginable hurt um, into the life of a believer. And I think that is where, in counseling, at least for me and the way I practice, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so critical and so crucial, um, because did not God himself uh, allow suffering to Mm -hmm. come upon his son, who was innocent and who was blameless, um, so that we would have a right to eternal life, so that the bridge for reconciliation back into relationship with God would be created. And so over time, with love, with compassion, with allowing people to go through and express and experience the depth of hurt and confusion that they have and feel, you walk people through the gospel, you take time with people, and help, help them transform through God's Word a correct and accurate image of God and of themselves and of others and fill them as the word does with the hope mm-hmm. of the of the new earth of the of the Jerusalem that is to come in Christ Jesus. Amen. Because I, it's something that stuck out to me you said is that you know we're supposed to we're we're trying to say hey God loves you as it a a a thing of comfort but in somebody who's been traumatized, it's it becomes conflict, not comfort. And then yeah. I guess it leads to a bitterness in the soul of those who are constantly saying, those who are constantly hearing God loves you. Um, especially, and I noticed this, when people have different situations or they've grown up in a different environment than a friend. And then it's like this comparison. Well, if God loves both of us. Uh, why are you like when you're saying God is partial um, and then it causes conflict and it's just interesting the way you put it was so so helpful um, yes, yes. And, and, and conflict can lead to uh, correction so conflict is not inherently bad but 
we probably are going to start with conflict. I mean, the whole the whole redemptive story starts with a conflict mm-hmm. <laughs> that Christ, where Christ intervenes, and so we have to go from conflict to cross to the cross, and then through the cross is where we get comfort. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to go from conflict to comfort without the intersection, the intervention of the truth of the gospel. Amen. Um, I think another thing, especially in the African-American community, is fatherlessness. Um, Mm -hmm. I was listening to uh, Ravi Zachariah, and he was talking about, Mm -hmm. he was counseling a girl who had been molested by her father. Mm -hmm. And um, he began... Before he knew that she had been molested by her father, he was saying, God is your father and he loves you. And he's your, and he just kept saying, God is your father. And he said, the girl just screamed and he was like, why, you know, screaming and crying. And he was like, why are you screaming? And she said, my father raped me. So when you tell me that God is my father, it doesn't resonate that he's someone good. And I began to think through that and I was wondering how, you know, fatherlessness in in the African-American community is becoming the norm. Um, How is that affecting a generation of of people seeing God? Is that hindering from them seeing God as their father? Yes, yes. Um, Well, I think in many ways it's similar to what we've just been talking about, even as it pertains to abuse. Because whether there was actual abuse um, physically, sexually by a father in, in, in one's life, or there was abandonment by a father, which is also another form of abuse. We don't necessarily always equate the two, that to be abandoned, to be rejected, to be left is another way in which people are abused every day. Um, that the reconciliation of those truths with God and then for God to call himself Father is often very difficult for people. Um, And people are living, um, whether it's conscious or unconscious, meaning, you know, they are aware that they have this uh, distortion of God going on or not, but people are often projecting the very worst of their earthly father onto their heavenly father because, you know, even God gets that because when he talks about loving our enemies or love, he says, how can you love me, you know, who you have not seen when you don't love your neighbor who you have seen? So even God gets the fact that we will struggle in our finiteness with an ability to embrace and love and understand a God who intentionally makes himself invisible because he is a spirit. Mm-hmm. And so if in that instance we struggle, how much more do we struggle with being able to not ascribe the, the qualities and characteristics, the failures and the sin nature of the fathers we have seen or should have seen, the ones that are touchable with the father who is untouchable? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, so in terms of can God be trusted, you mm-hmm. know, that's difficult to believe when daddy has not been a man of his word, when he hasn't been trusted, when he said, I'm going to come get you and you're waiting on the step and he never shows up, you know, can, will, will God provide, you know, well, well, daddy did not provide, or if he provided monetarily, he did not provide his presence, which is another thing. How is God present when I never saw my dad, when I never had a dinner with my dad, when my dad never came to my ball games or my dance recital? How is God actually a God that can be present? How can he be Emmanuel, God with us, um, when, when I didn't get the, the, ple- the pleasure and privilege of being with my own father? And so this issue of projection of onto God is, is real, and, and people do, do struggle with that and, and have to work through that. But, but, the, but the reality is we, God is big enough so that he can handle that. God knows what we've experienced. God knows what we've been through. Um, and so really the, the key is understanding and getting to know God. I mean, in the same way, I mean, we get this concept in other ways, but in the same way, we know that just because you have a bad relationship as a woman, let's use that example, with one man, that it would be unfair 
to project that experiences on all men, although we understand the sensitivity to and the, the, the proclivity to do so. And so the reality is you have to, in the same way, get to know people so that in getting to know them, you have a relationship with them that is not bombarded by or infected or poisoned by the relationships of those who hurt you. That is really the procedure, the, the emotional, the spiritual work that we're required to do with God, which is why God invites us into relationship with us. God is not moved and God is not um, afraid of our emotions and our anger. In fact, he says, come unto me. He's constantly inviting us into a intimacy with him, into relationship with him. He constantly wants to have his reputation on the line because he knows his, his, his work can back it up. So he's basically saying, if you get to know me, then through God, we end up having a corrective experience of what it even means to be a father, that God would give himself a name and a characteristic that man would mess up. That mm -hmm. man would not be worthy to even have, yet he gives us fathers, he gives us mothers, though he is the fulfillment of all of that. Um, and so, yes, it is how God is constantly redeeming us in those areas where we have experienced brokenness so that God can be for us a father that is trustworthy, that God can be a father that is counted on, dependable, he's faithful, he does not fail, that God, we can experience fatherness. In, in a sea of fatherlessness where God keeps his word, you know, where God is not a God that should lie, nor the son of man need to repent. And so through that, through knowledge of God, through, again, an encounter with the gospel and the redemptive power and work of Jesus Christ, those old wounds can get healed. Um, and, and we can begin to experience new life, um, um, the saving grace and power and mercy that is available to us when our minds get renewed through the word of God. Amen. Amen. I love the fact that God allows us to bring our anger and frustration towards him. And we yes. can quest we can ask some questions about what he allows and he might not give us all the answers, but he comforts us in it. So that's so yes. um, encouraging. Um, one thing about, I think, that hinders um, in the African-American community, people from overcoming those things, is that a lot of people don't understand that you have to sometimes talk it out with a professional. And in the, in, in the black church, I think therapy is still cliche. In the black community, um, I mean taboo. It's still taboo. And... Um, <laughs> People are, are like you. You could just pray it away. What does the Bible say about it? And but what I try to get people to understand is that sometimes people don't know where their issue is, so they may be, you know, sleeping around. But if you know, telling them to stop sleeping around is it may not be that helpful if they don't know why they're sleeping around. But you can't get to that if you don't talk through what the root to the root issue is. So I could pray, you know, for God to deliver me from a certain sin. But if I don't know that this sin is just the fruit and not the root, I'll uh -huh. I'll never overcome. So how how do you think we could? Um, why do you think um, therapy is still taboo in the black community, in the black church? And how do we encourage the black church community and the black community in general to embrace therapy? Yes. Um, well, I will say that it's getting better. Um, you know, we've, I want to acknowledge the fact that more and more African-Americans, more and more people of faith um, are, are changing, are beginning to seek help. And just practically, I will say, I think one of the reasons why um, it is becoming um, something that is more embraced is because there are now more of us doing it. Mm -hmm. um, just, I mean, that's just a practical, you know, that, that they can come to a therapist and they look like me, you mm -hmm. know, a brown skinned sister, you know what I mean, that grew up on the streets of Philadelphia um, and God made a way in, in my life for me to be called to this work. So, so the, and that's just social science research will tell you that oftentimes having um, similar, being similarly situated with your therapist, um, can produce a, a greater outcome and success in the counseling relationship 
which is an important thing to also remember that counseling is a relationship. It is not just an expert who's a blank slate and um, you cry out to them, you tell them all of your problems and there is no emotional connectivity. Um, At least I don't practice that way. I don't even think that's biblical to, to practice that way. But so therapy is a relationship and people want to and need to feel comfortable with the people that they are in therapy with. And, and it also, I would want to add that it doesn't mean that if you are of opposite races, then therapy, good work can't be done. That's not true either <clears throat> because it's still a spiritual thing. But I would just want to say for the black community, having more people of color in the helping profession, whether you're a social worker, a master's level counselor, lay counselor, or a doctorate level counselor um, is a, is a draw, is a draw. But I will also say, excuse me, for the people where it's still taboo, I think it's just um, a misunderstanding of Scripture, just not knowing. And listen, the enemy would love, he loves nothing more than for people to go to church every Sunday, sit on the pews, in the chairs, you know, be involved in service and teaching, even teaching and ministry, um, but be biblically illiterate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's the enemy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the, the enemy is not afraid of a consistent churchgoer um, who also does not know the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so we need to educate the church constantly on the fact that counseling is a biblical principle, that man, that, that Freud, that, that all of our forefathers in social science did not create counseling, that counseling was from the beginning. And I often talk about the fact that when God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden, I mean, like, when after God made man, the first thing God started doing was talking to him. Mm-hmm. So, so, so man was always living off of the counsel of God. Mm-hmm. And sin didn't even enter the world until they started listening to another counselor. so so listen i'm getting happy myself so listen so so counsel has always been and always is in fact we're always being counseled whether we know it or not the question is are you getting counseled according to the counsel of god or are you getting counseled according to the counsel of this world and we know who the prince is of this world Amen? amen and so we so it's really about understanding that that the rejection of counsel is what caused us to get into sin because even in psalms 107 it says for they had rebelled against the words of god and despised the counsel of the most high and so the bible talks about pride comes nothing but strife but wisdom is with those who receive counsel mm-hmm. and so counseling is a huge part of, of the christian life um even the, the the word of god talks about to god belong wisdom and power and counsel and understanding are his. The Bible says in Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And we know even the word says that safety is in the multitude of counselors. Mm-hmm. And so for people to just understand and, and root the, the practicality of counseling as being a gift from God, for the church, for the life of the believer, that God is wanting to counsel us through the vessel, that counseling, should we should be like conduit for the wisdom of God to flow through us as counselors to other people. One, I think if people were able to ground this practice in something scriptural, that is what will help kind of diminish some of the taboos. Um, and so I just wanted to say that just as a fundamental idea of counseling, you know, but then, you know, counsel is 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 different from like doctors like so people used to always say well you know if you have a toothache you don't just pray that away you go to the dentist if you have something wrong with your heart you go to a cardiologist you don't just pray that away you don't just you trust god for intervention in all these other medical fields but let me just say the truth of the matter is counseling is on a different level it it gets at the heart and as much as people think that counseling is about coming or they wish counseling was about coming to an office and sitting on a couch to feel better 
The truth is counseling is about sitting on a couch and dying. And people are often avoiding sound counsel, godly counsel, because we are still trying to save our lives. We are not wanting to be confronted with truth and change. And so we avoid that level of intimacy. We avoid letting people see into our lives because we are always, on some, in some way or another, guarding and covering up our heart. When God, through his word, is always trying to get at our heart, get at our thoughts, get at our will, and get out, get at our affection. Mm-hmm. Wow. You're going in. I, I feel like I need to send you a PayPal offering. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think that's so crucial because I think um, one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine that does that's a counselor and she said many of times people get to the point in counseling where they will where to get to a critical moment where they have to confront themselves and they'll stop coming um because it's not just about you know feeling better it's about dealing with those dark places that you've hidden or dealing with yourself and for many of us ourselves are scary things to deal with and to get to the root of things we rather keep hidden or unexposed or we feel shamed about um, is difficult. And it really takes courage and the Holy Spirit to help us confront those dark places. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, in, in, in all fairness, we don't know ourselves as, way, as well as we think we do. And so some things just are often hidden from our, our knowledge until God is allowing us to, you know, having the light turned on for us. And so, you know, all of us have this idealized self. We have this version of ourselves that we wish we would be, that we would like to be. That's why when you first meet a person, it's like you got to hang in there with them for a little while because what we're usually meeting and what people are usually meeting when they meet us is our representative. It's the version of ourselves that we're not. Um, that we're really not what we desire to be, but we don't, but, but, but it's not necessarily who God wants us to be. And so the confrontation with itself, you're right, is, is very difficult. Um, but it's also a confrontation with God because it is accepting things about God that don't fit our, um, our, what we've created God to be. And so we like God to be what we want God to be. And God is saying, no, I am who I am. And I want you to get to know and love that God and worship that God. Um, and, and really one of the things that often comes up in counseling, and, and, and even, and I always tell people, whatever drives you to counseling, that's, that's one thing. But there's always something up under the hood that the Lord is trying to get at. And so even for people who come to counseling for grief, I have just learned through my time in doing this work and just also knowing myself that God doesn't waste any opportunity to conform us to the image of his son. And so whether it's grief, whether it's um, challenges in relationship, whether it's stress, whether it's our depression and anxiety, whether it's our problems with our children, whether it's the infidelity or heartache of a, of a, a marriage not going well, God will not waste an opportunity because his intention at all times is for us to be less of us and more like Jesus Christ. And so he is constantly, divinely setting us up for sanctification. And that process even comes through counseling. So in counseling, God is confronting the rebelliousness of the human heart. In counseling, God is confronting the idolatry of the human heart, where we say we love God, but he's far from our heart, and we love things and people more than we love God. God is confronting our misappropriation of Scripture, and He's calling us and challenging us to sound doctrine. God is confronting us oftentimes through Scripture. Let me tell you um, that people often think that just because I am a Christian and I'm a Christian counselor, then like floods of Christian people are coming in and they're excited to sit with me and walk through the Scriptures. But what I found is that many Christians, not all, but many Christians who come to counseling have a form of God, but lack the power thereof, because we have a knowledge of God, but we have no integrity to Scripture and no desire to apply the Word of God to our lives. And so counseling is both process, meaning we got to, like you said, get to the root, get up under the hood, 
get to the root that is producing the fruit. So, so we might have to go back and look up childhood genealogies and do genograms and understand these parents and caretakers that raised us and how we didn't just fall out the sky and how our personalities are shaped by our environment and our experiences and our trauma. We have to do a lot of processing. But then counseling is also walking. It's practical. It's now apply this truth to your life. And many times people leave counseling when it's time to get off the top, when it's time to actually do, because we in the church can process something into the ground. You know, people come to you for advice, even if it's lay advice, not professional counseling, and they tell you their story, and you give them truth, and then people say, well, I'm going to go process that. But what you got to process? Sometimes you don't have to process. God says, stop sleeping with that man. What you have to process? There's nothing to process. You know what I mean? But we, we process our way into disobedience. Mm-hmm. That's, That's good. The truth. That's we good. process our way into disobedience. But we need to be doers of the word, mm-hmm. not just hearers only. And when counseling is calling people to now do, you know, as, as an expression of your love, and your obedience to a God that has been faithful and good to you, a God who did not deserve to die, but died, and then you're exposed for trying to save your life. Now people want to be out. Now people want to be out. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. They have itchy ears, and they are disturbed by the fact that counseling is not about, as you said, feeling good or feeling better as much as it is about being better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I, I hear you, sis, and we go through that, but it is it is all done with love. Um, it's grace and truth. If you have all truth and no grace, it's abusive. If you have all grace and no truth, you're abdicating. You're, you're, you're missing God's purpose for his word and the transformative effect it's supposed to have in your life. And a lot of what I'm saying to you, I don't dare say this all to people day one, day two, they'd never come back. Mm-hmm. But 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 as a but as a believer and as a counselor, um, we have to be in tune to God's heart. Um, we have to know that God is after our worldview. That God wants us to have a confrontation with the way we think and see things, because He wants us to think and see things like Him. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Set your heart, your mind on things above, not things below. That He's after transforming our mind and, and our worldview so that we can have the thoughts of God in, in every situation of life. And that counseling maybe is for a season so that people learn how to then live. Mm-hmm. You know, counseling is not for counselors to become messiahs for people. Counseling is not for people to become God in other people's lives. But count good counseling, biblical, Christ-centered counseling is supposed to usher people to the throne of grace. It's supposed to take people to the cross where he has everything to meet every need, where he has the ability to wipe your eyes and comfort your hurting soul and change your change your whole life. Mm-hmm. Change your whole life. Amen. I, I that is that was awesome. <laughs> I, I I've often said, because um, I think what you were saying, you get to a certain point in the in the counseling in the process where you have to do you can no longer explain it because because you know there are certain things you know you explain away and say this is why I'm this and I got to the root of this but at a certain point you have to realize just because I can explain it doesn't mean God is going to excuse it and so um I think that's something even as we're getting deep in in the process of counseling, when we get to the root, we could say, oh, I'm this way because, you know, dad didn't come and get me or I'm this way because my mom abandoned me. But at a certain point, you have to realize when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to give those excuses. You can you can process it through counseling. But at the end of the day, you have to do the word of God. And so, yeah, Yeah. so yes and amen to you to uh, Amen. you Amen. Um, Amen. last question what um, what kinds of questions as apologists should we be asking to get to the root of people's issues mm-hmm. yeah well I think a fundamental question that probably is going to need to be a part of a series of questions 
is um, trying to understand trying to understand what people believe about God is, is critical. Um, I think one of the mistakes that we, we often make is we assume um, that people are somewhere in their in their theology that they are not. And we only can really help people and intervene appropriately in the lives of people and speak into the hearts of people when we get an accurate sense of where they are with God. Sometimes those things are obvious um, because, you know, um, they, they're talking as a man, you know, like out of the abundance of the heart the man speaks. You, you, you see where a person is based on their lifestyle or their actions. Um, but I think we need to give people a chance. We need to hear for ourselves where people are, what they believe, what might be their misappropriation of Scripture, what may be some church cliches people have been living off of that are antithetical to the truth of the Bible, mm-hmm. and and then be able to help people learn God. I mean, I think about, um, you know, Aquila and Priscilla and how they, you know, taught Apollos the scripture, you know, they where he had, had some, some misapplication in his doctrine, they taught him. And so we need to be able to teach people the truth of God's word and ask them uh, the, the questions about that. I think we also need to get to those heart issues sometimes a lot sooner. I love what you said earlier, and I pray that people get that, that a lot of times these intellectual debates that people are having about God are rooted in some more fundamental um, hurt and heart wounding that causes a resistance to come near to God and trust God. And so being able to ask people, you know, even questions like, and give them the, and give them permission to own it without feeling bad. And how about we don't need to just do this for atheists. We need to do this for people in the church because the secret guilt of the church is that I go to church all the time and I'm really struggling in my faith. Mm-hmm. Like I got baptized, I, I read the covenant of the church, I joined, but I have some serious issues and questions about God and about his word and about truth that I am afraid to ask because somehow that disqualifies me as a believer. And we need to be able to give people permission to talk about these things and wrestle through these things. So asking people where are you weak in your faith? What are some things about God that you struggle with? What are some things, what are some scriptures that that bother you, that, that make it, what are some scriptures you avoid even? Because we, we're often avoiding things in the Bible because they're difficult for us. And so we are um, limiting the power of God's work in our lives. It's kind of like somebody that goes to the gym and they're like all muscle bound in the back and shoulders and biceps and triceps, but they never work their calves. So, you know, (laughs) spiritually, we're like muscle bound on top sometimes, but then the the calves of our spirit are weak. And so finding where are those those holes in our faith, those gaps in our knowledge about God, um, areas where maybe they have not, where they've had pain and, 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 and bad discipleship experiences and spiritual abuse. Um, some of the things that have drawn people away from God is not just the abuse of like a mother or a father or a, a uncle who molested me, but many of us have been spiritually abused. We've, we've unfortunately been hurt by pastors and leaders and people who should know the word and, and, and are charged to keep watch over the souls of the flock. And so people are wrestling in faith because man has done a poor job of representing Jesus Christ. And that's just the reality. So giving people the opportunity to work through their church hurt, but as you said, not get stuck in it. Mm-hmm. But how does God want to redeem you in it um, so that you can go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity and, and not have arrested development because of hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just even thinking as a counselor, those are some of the things that really kind of stand out to me. Um, and then I think we also need to take ownership the questions we need to ask of ourselves with regard to people who care for people and apologetics are what are my limitations mm-hmm. in this particular person's life that prohibit me from accurately and adequately intervening because everyone that comes across your path may not be for you. Some 
plant some water, God gives the increase. And sometimes there are issues that provoke us to not in such a way, because we're still in process, that provoke us to not be able to effectively manage certain people in certain situations. And just like in therapy, when we need to refer, we need to have enough wisdom and enough humility to to send people to people who are better equipped to deal with things that are are not in our wheelhouse, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I think that's very helpful um, because it, when you it, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. And I think sometimes we as apologists or people just in general, sometimes in the church that are biblically, you know, astute and have all this information think that they we sometimes can think we don't have limitations and we can help people we can help everybody um (laughs) but if we could have if we could have helped everybody god wouldn't have needed to send jesus so it's a it's a humbling thing to realize just because you have the information doesn't mean that you're called to help a specific person and i'm learning that myself and it is very very humbling uh, but it, right. it really is good because you get to see that I'm not people's savior. God That's is right. um, through right. Jesus Christ. So That's right. I That's think right. You- and often people often people use helping as a distraction for from their own healing. Mm-hmm. And so you find that chronically in the church, people who are overworked and over serving and over functioning are really using all of these outlets that seem altruistic and godly and spiritual because it is a distraction from the stuff that God is trying to to do in them. And so we want to be careful of that. And that's why we need elders and shepherds and people around us that can speak that kind of truth in our lives and sometimes tell us to have several seats. (laughs) You you need to stop so that, so that you can get from God what you need to get from God. And you're not, you're not giving out of a place of deprivation or desperation to avoid your own stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's like we're working. Sometimes people, sometimes we're working because um, I heard a pastor say this last week and I thought it was so good because we feel guilty. So we try to do enough good works in the church and we get over uh, overworked and we feel like we're appeasing God or satisfying him or balancing yeah. out the guilt or balancing out the private sin. Uh, but there's no works that can appease God. Jesus did that on the cross. So if you're not working from a place of wholeness, you're really not helping at all. Um, Exactly. So thank you, Dr. Lyons. Is there anything Uh, else you want to leave with our listeners? Any, any, um, your Twitter handle, Facebook, uh, where they could get in contact with you and any encouraging last word you want to leave with them? Okay, sure. Um, praise the Lord. My Twitter handle is at Dr. Sarita Lyons. D-R-S-A-R-I-T-A-L-Y-O-N-S. I'm on Facebook. I have a page for my private practice that is Dr. Sarita Lyons, Uplifting People Counseling. Um, my office telephone number is 302-377-5004. And um, I just wanted to say, um, I just want people to be encouraged that um, that God sees, that God knows, that God hears, um, and that God is concerned with every area of life. And the scriptures even encourage us in knowing that he is perfecting all things that concern us. I want to encourage um, this this audience to stand firm, you know, as, as this podcast mission is to contend for the faith, to not grow weary in well-doing, um, to, to um, trust that even if everyone else is against you, um, God is for you um, when you live and walk according to his way and his word and and that we can we can trust God that we can we can run to God with every need and as it even pertains to counseling I just want to encourage because sometimes people are listening and they need help um, just believe by faith that that you're not even listening to this programming by accident and that if God stirred anything in your heart to take you to another level in him by way of counsel to not ignore it, to not run from it. Um, and I want to encourage everyone because I always tell people, I know when you show up in my office, this isn't your first attempt 
at trying to figure out the complexities of life and trying to receive wholeness and get healing that, that the moment you show up for counseling is not your first attempt. And so, but, but to know that maybe now God is speaking to someone's heart, wanting to restore, wanting to revive, wanting to save, and that there are people who will walk you through the Word of God that will be kind and compassionate and care for your soul well as unto the Lord that can be trusted as you trust God to work through some of these hard things. Don't let the enemy um, keep your mouth silent. Um, don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you that time heals all pain. Jesus heals all pain. And so go to the Lord. Go to the Lord with everything. And I want to just end by thanking you. I want to thank you for your ministry. I want to thank you, Lisa, for your courage and your commitment to God and to the people of God to help grow us and mature us and empower us to be contenders for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray blessings on you and your family. I want to encourage your heart to keep going. Don't faint in the day of adversity because you don't have small faith. So <laughs> let God continue to do a mighty work in you and, and glorify his holy and righteous name. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Lyons. I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at Jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it